On one of my first trips to New York long, long ago, I kept going back to the stage deli because I found that they had the best chicken noodle soup and the soup from the deli's pot seemed to be the best medicine I could find for my sore throat. But I think I lingered at the stage deli for another reason. In New York, I knew that in a crowded diner, I would likely to be seated at a table with a few others already eating their soup. and would likely get to eavesdrop or even enter conversations with other people at the table. The movement and pace of city life is humanized for me by the people whose paths cross mine even for a few minutes. Like the Ethiopian cab driver who waited for me at Bread for the World's office in Washington because he said my walk back through the neighborhood to the metro station could be dangerous. Or the Egyptian taxi driver who showed me pictures of his beautiful nine-month-old daughter. Or of course the woman named Tanya in Prague who lifted me to my feet and guided me as far as she could help on the subway and then in a cab after I crashed face first into the sidewalk. My spontaneous encounters in the city, which at first seemed to be around the edges experiences of my trip, turn out to be the highlights. Yet I've always wondered about whether I could live in the city for the long haul. Americans living or visiting in big cities like New York or Los Angeles or Houston are familiar with the stress of overcrowded streets and sidewalks and the interminable search for parking places, even here in our own little city. For instance, Baylor and I-35 these days. We think our cities are crowded, but not a single American city ranks among the 50 most densely populated urban areas in the world where it seems impossible to walk without bumping into pedestrians every few seconds. Shanghai is, in 1999, the city with the largest population in the world. Delhi is about the same size as Shanghai, Beijing just a little bit smaller. Tokyo, a metropolitan area that includes Yokohama, is approaching 38 million people. And then there are the cities of 20 to 21 million, Sao Paulo, Mexico City, Dhaka, Mumbai, Osaka, Lagos, Nigeria, Cairo, all have that kind of population. Karachi, Istanbul, Kinshasa, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, all populations are over 20,000. And we have our own Brittany and Casey Ramirez living in Chengdu, China who tell us that Chengdu now has 9 million in the city proper and 14 million in the agglomeration of the administrative area. A good word that sounds really, really like megalopolis on top of megalopolis. All those joined together. And then there are geographic populations that swell in size when thousands of people live close together because of poverty or war or natural disaster. These are huge population centers that have grown up in Satari in Jordan where 78,000 Syrian refugees now live. The city some of them may live in for the rest of their lives. And of course, 
of the huge population centers along the Mexican-United States border. Once at Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, I heard Marion Wright Edelman, who was the director of the Children's Defense Fund and is now uh, director emeritus. She told the story of one of the millions of children who are struggling to grow up in a world of chronic violence. She told the story of eight-year-old Gail about her life in inner city Washington, D.C. Gail's words made me shudder then. They still do. In my neighborhood, Gail said, there is a lot of violence. One day after school, me and my mother had to hide from the fighting. There's a church and there's a school that I go to in my neighborhood. It's safe for me in those places. But there are mean people who live in my building. They broke into our apartment twice. One day the police came to find Susan Harris. It was so hot that day. It was the worst day of my life. It was in the newspaper. When me and my mother was going to church, we could see the fire from the 4424 building. I was not scared. In my neighborhood, there are too many fights. I've never been in a fight. God is going to come back one day and judge the world, not just my neighborhood. I believe in God and I know one day we will be in a gooder place than we are now. Will Gail's vision of a gooder place ever be realized? The Bible says yes, because a gooder place is God's vision. A gooder place is God's home. A gooder place is a restored community where God will dwell among us. Gail is living with John's kind of faith that all will be made new. When John peers beyond human history with all its dangers, toils, and snares, all that will, would make us fearful or homeless or hopeless, a city is what he sees. In the presence of the God of resurrection and life, pain and death will have no place. This God among us will wipe away every tear from the eyes of every person. The old things that brought fear and loneliness and despair will be gone. John does not say, people will not be as sad as they were. People will not be quite as lonely as they were before, or people will not be likely to be victims of violence. There is more to this new life than the elimination of the things that bring the greatest pain to a girl like Gail or any other of God's children. In the new creation, we are promised no chaos, no death, no despair, no crying. God aches to see the old order with its tears and death give way to the new that God has promised. Because of the resurrection, we know that God has the power to overcome the world's worst work and make something new. God will be at home among us. Even if we peer over John's shoulder, trying to get a complete picture of the new city he describes, our down-to-earth experiences are such an organic part of who we are now that we can't imagine what John is describing. All our wildest dreams, all of our, all the goodness that Gail imagines, 
It's hard to comprehend how God's life among us changes our world even now from old to new. The one who said, see, I am making all things new, also said to John, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. In this week of noise on the news, compelling voices rose above the uproar in Washington. We heard Greta Thunberg at the UN, and David Brooks, many of us at Baylor and the Convention Center. Greta, of course, called us to pay active attention to frightening concerns about our vanishing environment, and Brooks invited us to engage in its vision to create spaces where like-minded individuals can come together to work toward the greater good, where, as he said, we practice doing life together. Think of the organizations in our small city that are based on the belief that when we work together, our collective gifts and abilities can make this a better city for everyone who lives here. To name just a few, Mission Waco, the Texas Hunger Initiative, Prosper Waco, the November Feast of Caring for the Hungry, Habitat for Humanity, Act Locally, Lake Shore Baptist Church. They, we, embrace the city with the shelter of our hands and hearts and the vision and creativity of our minds. For Jesus' disciples, every act of love, vision, and compassion is a sign of God's reign on this earth. T.S. Eliot wrote, what is the meaning of this city? Do you huddle close together because you love each other? I hope that's why we huddle and worship and then take our love and worship out into the world. John, the writer of Visions of a New City, was, we believe, the same John who wrote the words we call the Gospel of John. In that Gospel, John tells us that on the last night of Jesus' life, at his last meal with his disciples, Jesus gathered his disciples around him as little children and gave them a new commandment that will be the foundation for building a new community. Little children, love one another, Jesus said, just as I have loved you. He needed his disciples to be caregivers to each other and to others as they built their community. So Jesus gave a new commandment to them and to us, love one another. Our love one another signs of the new world may not always be magnificent or visible immediately or effective on the spot, but they may be small signs like building a bed at the Salvation Army or taking some muffins to someone who can no longer come to church or cleaning a playground here at the church or painting a fence at Talitha Coombe or pounding a nail into a board at Habitat. God doesn't ask any of us to try to meet the breadth of the needs in the world's cities or even to offer our gifts among the millions in Chengdu or Dhaka or Kabul or Rio or Oman or even Mexico City or New York. But God still calls us to love one another in the ways we can. This new commandment is echoed in the words by Carrie Newcomer, I can't change the whole world, but I can change the world I know, what's within 
three feet or so. Whatever we call what God is creating, a gooder place, the reign of God, or a new heaven and a new earth, or the new Jerusalem, we get glimpses of it through the signs we see in the lives of each other, the ones Jesus called little children. No matter whether we are 12 or 18, or 30 or 60, 80 or almost 100, the little children that Jesus calls, are, we are those little children who have a chance to help build a new city on earth as it is in heaven. One time, in New York again, another trip, a city that's really not so large after all by global standards. I saw for me what was one of those signs of the kingdom of God. A simple sign you may think, but it made a profound impression on me. I've told this story before. Listen again to my memory exactly as I wrote it years ago. About seven o'clock, I was walking toward Central Park on 75th Street on a block lined with brownstone houses when I noticed an elderly gentleman walking very slowly and shakily, not too far in front of me. He was nervously tapping his cane along the sidewalk. Even from behind him, I could tell what, that the tapping began right in front of him and moved across the sidewalk in a distinct pattern, inch by inch. He made an arc, tap by tap by tap, inch by inch, until his cane was three feet to the right. Once each fragile movement of his cane was complete, he shifted his weight forward an inch or two and started tapping another arc. To be sure, it was safe to take a step forward. In the dusk dark, each crack in the sidewalk must have seemed like the height of a steep cliff to him, the potential edge of disaster. I was caught between thoughts of, should I help him? And how in the world did he get this far by himself? In the space of my hesitation, I saw a young couple bound up the steps to their nearby brownstone carrying groceries. When they saw the gentleman, the young man handed the keys to the young woman, set the groceries down, and hurried back to the sidewalk. He leaned over to talk to the old man, evidently asking him where he lived. By that time, the old gentleman, steadied by his young neighbor, had the courage to sweep his cane through the air and point farther up the street. I leaned against someone's front steps for 15 minutes. I watched the men who seemed lost in conversation as they inched up the street, arc by arc, step by step, passing only a couple of brownstones in that time. Then I crossed the street and watched a little longer until the approaching darkness rushed me away. It's an hour later now, I wrote. I wonder if the two men are still walking up the sidewalk toward home and why the outward ideas of the city had made me think so long about whether to be a neighbor that I'd miss my chance. But what a wonderful picture of the city I had seen. Our God is not a God who looks down from above, 
observing the world as a tourist on the 85th floor of the skyscraper or from the top of the Alco building. God comes as the Christ who walks beside us on the street level of the city, not to observe as a curious bystander at a safe distance, but to lend us a steady arm and a shoulder to lean on when the world as we know it is bigger and perhaps more lonely or frightening for people than we can ever imagine. We're city people, you know, and God of the old city is making all things new, including us. Amen. Oh God, we're waiting for a gooder place, but signs of your love are all around us. Give us the courage to bring healing to this world, to be signs of your goodness, till the earth bows before you, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Amen.